Mac Voices Holiday Gift Guide number six with Kirk McElhern and Wally Cherwinski. This is Mac Voices. Today's edition of Mac Voices is supported by Rocket Money. Take full control of your subscriptions with Rocket Money at rocketmoney.com slash macvoices. Welcome to Mac Voices. This is the talk of the Apple community, and I'm Chuck Joyner. Folks, you thought we were finished with our Apple gift guides, but you were wrong. We've still got them going. This time around, I'm happy to welcome Kirk McElhern to the Mac Voices Holiday Gift Guide. Kirk, great to see you as always. Nice to be back, Chuck. I haven't seen you for a while. Yeah, it's terrible. I don't know where the time goes. Yeah. And I think it's even been longer for Wally Trewinsky. Wally, it's great to see you. Likewise, Chuck. Hi, Kirk. Yeah, it's um, this is always a, so much fun, and this year it's been a little bit tough to get some of the scheduling in, but we wanted to make sure that everybody that wants to participate has an opportunity to participate. So here we go. Folks, if for any reason this is your first holiday gift guide, the rules are pretty simple. Um, we do our best not to duplicate picks from prior panels, but that sometimes happens, and so what? You know, it's just one more recommendation. Uh, the um, we We do four rounds of gifts, one pick each. And the links to everything we pick will be not only in the show notes for this show, but also in the master uh, Mac Voices Holiday Gift Guide site page on the Mac Voices website, as well as our holiday Flipboard magazine, um, so that you can actually get a, an image of the things that we pick. So with that, we're going to just roll with the uh, the introductory order, if that's okay. So Kirk, that gives you the first pick of round one. Right. I have a book, and I just got this book delivered literally a half an hour ago. Um, it is very large and heavy. It is David Hockney, My Window. Now, David Hockney is a well-known artist. His work is very colorful and bright. And you're thinking, what does this have to do with Macs and Apple stuff? Um, David Hockney was one of the first major artists to start creating art on the iPhone. He started in 2009. And when the iPad came along, he just dove into it. And so this is a book of his paintings from about 2009 to 2012. And he calls them paintings. They're drawings. Um, his work is naive but colorful. I mean, he's one of the best-known living painters out there, if you've never heard of him. Uh, when I lived in Yorkshire about 10 years ago for a short time, I went to a gallery nearby and saw some of the paintings. And they were exposed. They were like six feet high by three feet. So he makes these massive prints. His, his recent work has gotten a lot better because the apps he uses are better. So he's using apps now with all sorts of layers and he's using an Apple pencil to get more of the, you know, the pressure sensitive stuff. It's a really wonderful example of what you can do with an iPhone or an iPad if you're an artist. Uh, Kirk, enlighten me, if you will, and probably maybe a few others out there. When you say his work is considered slightly naive, is that uh, that's I assume that's an art term that I'm not familiar with. Yeah, in in the sense of art that's not per- perfect, that's not you know perfectly composed, that it's very free. It's it's. Uh, it's it's not pop art. It's modern art, but it's not like abstract. It's all representative. You know, you look at the back cover here. You can see an example. It's a picture of a, what looks like a poppy in a vase. Um, I'm trying to get this in camera because it's the wrong way. His yeah. art is colorful, almost childish at times. But for a while, one of his paintings was the most expensive paintings ever sold at auction by a living artist i mean he's that famous wow 
Okay. Where is this work displayed, Kirk? um, He has exhibits in the UK very often, but I'm sure you'll find his work in museums around the world. You know, right. any museum of modern art. The the most famous painting of his, the one that sold for so much, was a a man diving into a s- blue swimming pool in California someplace. If you look it up online, it's almost an iconic image. Okay. So, um, Kirk, he does every, everything that you're showing there is, is done on iPad? Uh, I found an iPad, iPad in this book, but now he only uses an iPad. Interesting. Okay. Great pick. Great pick. Yeah, I I love those sort of... Um, tangential, adjacent, yeah, yeah, tangential or adjacent picks, um, you know, because it does, it can, hopefully, it'll inspire some people as to what they can do with uh, with well, with the tools they're being given. And it's okay. also the kind of thing that uh, once you have it, you come back to it quite often and uh, look at different pages or different artwork with a different perspective. So it's always there. Yeah, good, nice pick, nice pick. Um, okay, so Wally, that gives you the first pick, uh, your first pick of round one. Okay, well, I, I assume that sometime during the holidays, you are going to buy some software, either for yourself or for uh, another person. And my pick is just um, a suggestion to support some developers who are not having a great time these days. And that is uh, Ukrainian developers. I know I, I look in the software that I use, and there's so many wonderful things that these developers have done. And I can't imagine the hardships that they are going through right now in these days to uh, continue doing their work. So I'll name just three of them. Um, one company is MacPaw, and uh, they are the people responsible for the Set App series of subscriptions. Uh, they do Clean My Mac 10, they do Gemini 2, and uh, Clear VPN. Uh, another company is Readle. They do both Mac and iOS apps. Uh, PDF Expert, uh, SparkMail, Scanner Pro. They do calendars for both Mac and iOS and the Documents app. And finally, uh, the Skylum software, uh, they do do the Luminar series of image editing software. It's actually my go-to apps for image editing. Um, There's Luminar Neo and Luminar EI. So lots of software to pick from. I'll I'll send you the links. Um, Go to their sites, and if there's something that appeals to you, or you may already have it, you may gift it to somebody else, um, I certainly will try to support them, and I hope people do too. If I can just add one, there's another company called Softerino. They make an app called yeah. Walter, yes. W-A-L-T-R, which is an app that copies things to and from iPhones, iPads, and iPods. Um, it's yes. really good if you have an older iPod because you won't have to sync to a computer. You can just drag stuff onto the app and it copies it. Yes, uh, a good point. I, I forgot that one. And in fact, I use the the Walter app all the time myself. We just went on holiday for a couple of weeks and I loaded my iPad mini up with lots of stuff that I wanted to watch and it was invaluable for that. Yeah, I, I will third Walter. Um, I use it constantly to yeah. load things onto my iPad. So I'm, I'm right there with you. Nice. Very nicely done, Wally. Yeah, a lot of a lot of different picks in there, but with a common theme. So good one. 
Um, my first round pick is something that makes an appearance in pretty much every episode of Mac Voices unintentionally, and that is let's see, got to do my do right. The uh, there we go, the Audio Engine A5 um, speakers. Um, everybody, I think, needs a really good set of speakers, and these are just really super high quality. Um, I've I've recently helped a friend shop for a new set of speakers, uh, and I mean, first of all, smaller speakers have gotten so much better, you know, over the past ten or fifteen years. But also, we started pricing things out, and the some of the uh, they were partial to a couple of the Yamaha uh, models. And the interesting thing about it was that for just a very little bit of money more, you can get these Audio Engine A5s, and they have so much more connectivity because you can connect them via Bluetooth. You can connect them um, via uh, Direct Connect. Um, there's a subwoofer connection that you can lock into these. They are powered, so you don't have to have a receiver or anything like that. So that's another way to save money. So at the end of the day, this is they have a great value, and the sound is phenomenal. And especially if you pair them with with um, a, a loss a DAC, um, the the audio is just it'll just blow you away. I'm really happy with the configuration I have here because it's while it's not supposed to be technically a relaxing list, listening environment, this is where I spend so much of my time, and I'm just never never not amazed at just how good these sound compared to some of the other options out there. I love my Apple HomePods, no question about it, but they're in another area and. This is where I want to come and what I want to listen to when I really want to enjoy the music. So, um, you know, what can I tell you? They, they're they not inexpensive, but they're not ridiculously expensive, and I really think you will be super satisfied with them. I want to point out your positioning, which is interesting. Um, I see a lot of people who have speakers on their desk, flat on their desk, and there's two problems with that. The first is the speakers will vibrate on the desk, and that can create a boom uh, I have a pair of stands on my speakers from a brand called Isoacoustics, which are sort of, they dampen, they have rubber isolation. But the second thing is the tweeters of your speakers should be at your ear level, and yours are. Now, you can angle speakers up from the desk, but if they're not at your ear level, you won't hear the sound correctly. The, the sound waves coming out of tweeters are very small, so if it's too low, it's coming by here and not in your ears. So it's important to either angle the speakers so the tweeters are pointing at your ears or put them at a higher level like that. It's an interesting point, Kirk, because when I – Jeff Gammon recommended these speaker stands, and when I got them, I oriented them like a normal speaker, you know, up and down. And I just found, first of all, that it, it just looked a little awkward and, and looked a little more unstable. But, um, yeah, doing this, everything is, is coming right at my ear level or pretty close to it. Um, and so – yeah, it's it works out very very well. Uh, they they do come in the white, which which I got. Um, they also come in, I believe, a wood grain, if I remember, and a black. Um, and traditionally, I would not, I've never have opted for white, but I've been really really happy with this uh, because it gives it a much more modern look. But the look is not the point. the The point is the sound. So when whatever whatever color case you choose, uh, it's the guts that are really important. Might be the first time anybody referenced guts of an audio device, but anyway. Um, so, okay, that's a quick round one. Um, so, Kirk, you get to kick us off round two. I got an iPhone 14 Pro, and I bought a case from Peak Design. It's Peak Design's mobile everyday case. 
Um, Peak Design is well known for their camera products, in particular make straps and bags and all that. And one of the unique things they have is this little system of connectors. So this round thing goes can go into a thing. Um, so for instance, you have a camera strap and you have two of these round things that come out from the camera and the strap hooks onto it. It's very sturdy. Um, so w- the, one of the reasons I bought this case is I wanted to be able to use this camera more often since it's got a 48 megapixel sensor and all that. But when you're out there taking pictures with your iPhone, it's kind of, it could fall. So Peak Design has what they call a leash, which is a small strap that goes around your wrist. So I keep this here and I put the strap on when I'm taking pictures so I don't drop the case. Um, it is MagSafe, so it works with MagSafe chargers. And this thing is, they have their own connector. They sell a bunch of uh, mounts for cars and bicycles and stuff, um, which don't really interest me. But the fact that it's a MagSafe case and it uses this little connector is the reason why I bought it. It's also a kind of a fabric finish, so it's not slippery. Kirk, elaborate if you would on the on the little dongle thing. I mean, I heard what you said about yeah. I heard what you said about camera strap, but I'm wondering what else that can be uh, connected to. So this is one of my cameras, and this has a Peak Design strap on it, and so I can just press this little thingy. And then pull the strap off and then put the strap on. So if I want to use the full strap on the camera, I have it. If I want to use the wrist strap, I can take this off quickly and put the wrist strap on. Now I understand. So it? it, it integrates your phone with all your other gear from Peak Design. Right. So it's got a little bit of extra space on the bottom of the case to be able to put the, 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 the dongle, I guess you call it. They call it an anchor, I think. Hmm. So it's got like a half an inch to be able to slip that through so you can then put a strap on it. The, those are great, actually, Kirk. I'm, I don't have a uh, an iPhone case with that, but, but I've used the leashes for uh, a few years. Uh, there's a short one that, that's a wrist strap, and they have a longer leash also. So you could actually put it over your shoulder, maybe tie it to a belt or something like that. And I'll tell you a story. It's the um, normal thin strap that they make as well. And then they make a thicker version and they make bags and all sorts of camera stuff. Yeah. Well, a few years ago, we uh, we went on a trip to India and I had both leashes. I had the wrist strap and I had the longer leash. And um, we went on an elephant ride and I had a video camera and I had a second camera. And obviously, you can't use them both at the same time dexterously because, you know, you're back of an elephant and you're going up and down. So while I was using one camera, I rested the second camera on uh, the saddle on the elephant. And of course, inevitably, it fell off. Good thing was the leash was attached to it and I attached it to my belt. So even though it fell off, it it didn't go all the way. I can just imagine the camera falling to a gr- to the ground and being stomped on by a big elephant foot. But yeah. that leash saved me that time. So ever since then, they're a great thing to have with you, whether it's on your um, iPhone or uh, an, another camera or any other piece of equipment that um, is valuable and fragile and you don't want to lose. Yeah, all it needs is a loop to put the the anchor through and you pull it tight and you can connect anything to it. So yeah, Yeah. it's a great system. 
I use it in my belt loop, uh, which is the most convenient. Or if you have a vest, often they have a D ring. You can attach yeah. it there also. Yeah. 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 Great idea. In case you ever find yourself on the back of an elephant. Well, exactly. <laughs> maybe an extreme example, but, um, you know, it, it, especially with the iPhone right now, the iPhone 14 Pro Max and um, iOS 16.2, the action camera feature is really terrific for video. I don't know if you've used it, but you it, it, it sort of simulates what you can do with um, the the normal action cameras like a GoPro and others, but you can do it on your phone. So um, if you're moving quickly, you're on a, a, a vehicle, you're on a bicycle or whatever, it stabilizes your video and it gives you that really, really smooth look of motion. So normally if you're shooting 4K video, you get 4K video. When you're shooting action camera, because it may be jiggling around, it ends up at being, I think, 2.4K video, but it's stabilized. It's amazing what it can do. So under circumstances like that, the case that Kirk has, I think would be really terrific because you're not going to lose it in um, in fast-moving environments. Yeah, yeah, always important. Great pick. Wally, what do you have for round two? Okay. Um, last year, you may remember, uh, we talked about air tags. I'm not going to recommend an air tag again, but something similar. Um, at the time, I, I think I was the only one of the panel that didn't really have a good use case for my air tags. I had them, but I didn't really use them every day for anything that I really needed until recently. I've decided, because you remember a few months ago, there were all kinds of horror stories of airlines losing people's luggage. Of course, after the pandemic, people started the travel, airlines were overloaded, luggage got lost. Uh, it was a real problem. So I decided uh, recently, Wendy and I went on a trip, and um, we decided to get uh, some air tags and put them in our luggage just to be safe. So the first time we uh, landed in London, and the first thing I did, first thing I did on landing, connect to the airport Wi-Fi, check on my bag. And I, I, I can't describe the euphoria <laughs> I felt when I saw my bag at Heathrow Airport. It was wonderful. And then later we went to Copenhagen. I did the same thing. First thing, connected to the airport Wi-Fi, bingo. There is my baggage. Wonderful. Now, since then, I have learned that airline apps like United, maybe Delta, actually track your luggage for you. So when you're ready to board the plane, you can check on their app, and it'll tell you whether your baggage is on board already. So it kind of obviates the need for the air tag in your baggage, but what the hell? Just to be safe, I put it in all of our um traveling uh, bits and pieces. Anyway, after that preamble, my pick is this. It's an AirTag case. Now, you can go on Amazon or you can go to Apple and you can buy all sorts of uh, sheaths and cases and protectors for your AirTags. This one in particular is from a company called Elago. And there is your AirTag inside. But uh, outwardly, it looks like an old 
iPod Shuffle. It's a duplicate of an iPod Shuffle. It's a rubbery sort of thing. It's got an on-off switch. It's got the, the jog wheel. Obviously, you wouldn't use something like that if you're just going to put it inside your luggage and never see it again. So it's the kind of thing you might buy for um, uh, something where you attach your AirTag uh, outwardly. It's uh, from a company called Alago. They don't cost a lot. I think it's about $12 or $13. But uh, if you want to... Uh, oh, another thing they do is... Um, um, uh, what's it called? Never mind. You cut that part out. <laughs> um, anyway, I, I love it. It gets a lot of comments too. In fact, when I was traveling, I, I had it out on something else. And some people had asked me, hey, where did you get that thing? Does it play music? I said, sorry, no, it doesn't. It's just an AirTag. But there you go. I like it. AirTag camouflage. Yeah. And and, and Wally, I'm with you. I, I not intending to completely disparage the airlines, but if I could trust their tracking systems, then they would never lose the luggage. So yeah. I'd rather have mine. Uh, I'm, I'm, I don't go. I have one in my backpack. I keep one in the car. So if the car's ever stolen, I can hopefully it's hidden in the car. It's not an obvious place anyway. Um, so yeah, love the air tags. Love the air tags. Um, okay, so I guess it's mine. Um, so we are now post lockdown and. Remote work has continued to be a thing, and it's becoming a bigger thing. And I am still amazed, appalled sometimes at the cameras that I see people using. Um, I know they're using some old laptops. I know they're you know doing anything they can to get uh, on a Zoom call. But frankly, some of them just look terrible. And you can spend a lot of money on webcams. Um, and I guess it depends just on how how much you care. But if you would like to up your game a bit and not spend a pile of money, um, I want to recommend the Anchor PowerConf C200. Um, this is a USB webcam. It's a 2K webcam. Um, it has noise-canceling microphones, uh, stereo noise-canceling microphones, so it will improve your audio as well. Now, I'm not going to lie to you that it's going to make you look, you know, just fantastic, um, like a, a dedicated DSLR is. I'm using a dedicated DSLR. Not sure what Kirk and Wally are using, but on my screen anyway, they both look terrific. But it's it's those the folks that log in, and it looks like there's a haze over things, or you can tell the resolution is really poor. And it just does not look professional at all. It looks like you just didn't even try, which obviously they didn't. So this is a, this is like sub seventy dollars, um, and it's a really decent little webcam. You can spend you know multiples of that amount and not have it be as. Well, I'm using a twenty four inch iMac, and it's true that prior to this iMac, the cameras were pretty bad. Um, this was the first one I think with the 1080p. Uh, I don't think, or maybe the M1 laptops also had a 1080p, but I'm not sure. So when I got this, everyone noticed, you know, everyone I was on calls with noticed a difference. Yeah, it it, it really does. And, and just that fact, Kirk, you know, that people will say, hey, I, you know, there's a difference. What are you doing different? That that to me says it all that, you know, this is this is well uh, something that's well worth investing in. So. Yeah, mine is a, a Logitech 903. Um, and a plexicam uh, stand for it. Well, not stand, hang, I guess. 
Um, it seems to work well. I know uh, my wife, Wendy, uses it for a lot of her coaching sessions, and um, uh, it works very well for her. Another option is this little Belkin MagSafe gizmo. This is the one that goes on a laptop, and they've just come out with one for an iMac. The reason this doesn't work on an iMac is it's not thick enough. It's made for the thickness of the screen. So this works on my MacBook Air. Um, but if you if you use an iMac often and you want a better camera than the iMac, or you've got an older iMac, they've got a new one that just came out. Yeah, I, Kirk, I've, I saw that, and I'm anxious to see uh, what that does with older iMacs and the current crop of iMacs, uh, because I'm not completely clear on how it attaches, whether it hooks on or there's an adhesive or what. So, um, so let's do a live demonstration if the cat can not get in the way here. So it's MagSafe. Now you see the bit on the top, right? You put the camera, you put the phone like this, and it leans over. Try and get the angle right so you can see. It's like a gap in this bit here, and that hangs on the display. The problem is that if you have a heavy iPhone like this is a Pro, then it'll make the display go down. So you've got to keep it almost at a 90-degree angle or prop it up. If you have a smaller phone, it's not too heavy. I'm sorry my cat's in the way. He's, he's like that sometimes. And the other thing is you might find this useful if you like to hold an iPhone like this, right? just as a thing to not drop your iPhone. So yep. even for that alone, it's helpful. Yeah. Okay, Kurt. Kurt, Kurt I, w I want to make sure that I, I'm just going to save us both some emails. What's the cat's name? Titus. Titus. That's Titus. Okay. It's Titus. Titus. Okay. Named after Titus Andronicus. Ah. I, I live just outside of Stratford-upon-Avon, Shakespeare's hometown, and Titus Andronicus is one of the meanest characters in all of Shakespeare. And it's the play with the most deaths. I think there are 21 deaths, including the two young men who were baked into pies at the end. <laughs> Shakespeare is fun. Wow. And, and Titus looks like he's well taken care of. Yeah, he is. Yeah. I mean, I wanted, I wanted him to be a hunter, so I named him Titus so he would be, you know, mean and – Yeah. I'm he is. Fine. We live next to a farm, as you know, and they're always killing mice up there. They're pretty, you know – Anyway. Okay. <laughs> On that positive note. <laughs> well, my next pick is a cat. You should all get a cat for Christmas. Cats are great. <laughs> oh, no. no. I'm going to put Titus Please. down. Please don't, um, don't say that. This edition of Mac Voices is supported by Rocket Money. Cancel unnecessary subscriptions with Rocket Money at rocketmoney.com. Do you know how much your subscriptions really cost? Most Americans think they spend around $80 a month in subscriptions, while the actual total is closer to $200. That's right. You could be wasting hundreds of dollars each month on subscriptions that you don't even know about or have forgotten about. There's a way to take care of that. It's called Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill. Rocket Money shows you all your subscriptions in one place and cancels what you don't want for you. Rocket Money can even find subscriptions you didn't know you were paying for. You may even find out you've been double-charged for a subscription. To cancel a subscription, all you do is press Cancel, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Get rid of your useless subscriptions with Rocket Money now. Go to rocketmoney.com slash macvoices. Seriously, it could save you hundreds per year. That's rocketmoney.com slash macvoices. Rocketmoney.com. 
com slash Mac Voices. Thanks to Rocket Money for supporting this week's Mac Voices. Okay, Kirk, round three. What do you got? And I'm hoping it's not a cat. No. Well, you should get a cat, but that's uh, that's not Apple-specific. Um, one of the things I think that Apple has done in recent years that was the cleverest was to release the Apple Watch with the ability to change the watch bands easily. Now, us old people, when we had watch bands back in the day, you had those spring-loaded pins, and they were really hard to get in. Even if you buy a special tool, it's not easy. And with these, you know, you push the button, you change it, and... I've gotten a sort of Apple Watch Band Jones. I have about two dozen Apple Watch Bands. Um, a few months ago, I found an app called Bandbrite. Let's see how well you can see this. B-A-N-D-B-R-E-I-T-E. And it's a free app, and it's basically a list of all the Apple Watch Bands that Apple has ever released. So it's for people who want to collect Apple Watch Bands, basically. Um, it is free. You can see all the bands. And if you do have a Jones like me, you can say, oh, I want to get this color. It'd be really good. Now, one thing I want to point out is – you can buy Apple Watch Bands cheap on eBay. They're not knockoffs. They're not Chinese. But when a given year's collection is retired and they come out with a new collection, they sell off the old ones. And so here in the UK, the cheap bands are 50 pounds and the next ones are 100 pounds. Um, I can get the 50-pound watch bands for about 10 or 15 pounds. Um, so you look on eBay, you look for Apple watch genuine, you'll see photos of all these like piles of Apple watch bands in Apple packaging. And, you know, I bought one from one of them first cause I was a little bit unsure, but they're all genuine. You can tell when you look at the bands and you see the, you know, the marks and everything like that. So if you want a lot of bands, you can get them cheap on eBay. You don't have to pay full price. I, Kirk, I got to know, Kirk, after, uh, after your years of experience with bands, which is your favorite kind of band for you, for your wrist and your activities? The, the thing is, I don't do much activity. If I was very active, it would be specific. Today, I've got a sport band on. This is the Starlight okay. Sport Band. Um, I have a stainless steel graphite watch this year. Um, I started getting stainless steel with the six because I really like the watch and I'd rather have something a little bit better. Um, I've got the Milanese loop, which I love. Um, yeah. one of the problems with this is I wouldn't go into a big city wearing this. It'd be too easy for someone to steal it. So a right. Milanese loop would stay on very well. The solo loop, yeah. if you can get the right size, it's just that one piece. Um, I kind of like those new orange and green. I, they call them the trail loop that they came out with, with the Apple watch ultra. Yeah. But I don't have any one favorite. And I kind of just every few days I think, okay, I'm going to change. What should I put on now? And I go into my Apple drawer and I pick – or I look at this app where it suggests at the bottom from your collection, here are three bands you might want to wear today. Oh, yeah. That's interesting. That is interesting. And yeah. I did not know – I did not know that's something that Apple did that they sell off um, the, the collection. Yeah. So that's a great it's, way to maybe – fashion business. The old stuff always gets sold off cheap. Chuck, do you have a favorite? Do I have a favorite? Um, I'm sorry, I'm boring. Um, I just have a, a black melonese loop. Um, that's that's pretty much my go-to. Um, I do have not quite sure how I got it or why, but I did get a red uh, melonese. Uh, it was that was a knockoff, um, but I got a red one. But that just always felt just a little too. 
attention getting. So yeah. the, oh, the black I've got red bands, I've got orange bands. I like the colors for a change. Yeah. 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 I mean, and, and the great thing, I, I still think Apple was brilliant because if you've ever tried to go and change a watch band, I mean, you almost have to go and find a, a drawer with the right tools oh, to do it. And, and these now, are so easy. yeah, now you can change the thing out. Is before people didn't change watch bands unless they were like real watch fanatics. They just yeah. didn't do it. Whereas now, you know, you can change your band at any time. And it's true that I wonder how much money they make off these bands because there's a lot of people who buy multiple bands. And yes, you can buy the cheap knockoffs on Amazon. The quality can be okay, but is often mediocre. So I've, since I found the cheap ones on eBay, I just buy like that. You know, it's funny, Kirk, you said, you said fashion and it's been a long time since I've really heard that applied to the Apple watch or really thought about it that way. But that was somebody that was very forward thinking uh, in that design that it could be a fashion thing as well as just a, I guess maybe a personal statement thing is a fashion thing. But, you know, the idea well, that yeah, you don't just buy the watch with, with the band. They, they partnered with Hermes, which is a big luxury brand. Um, they came out with that $10,000 gold yeah. Apple watch, which – I mean, that's just a pitiful, uh, 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 a pitiful episode in Apple's career. I remember the look on Tim Cook's face when he was presenting it, and then he said how much it was. If you look back at the original presentation, the the, the body language and the expression on his face, I mean, that was really just for Johnny Ive, who wanted a fancy watch. I, I have heard tell that they've only sold about 200 of them. They only ever sold 200, and they probably gave away more than they sold to celebrities. But, yes, they wanted to get into the fashion sector because had had what was the lady from Burberry who went to work for them? I don't know if she had started working before the Apple Watch came out. Angela Arendt, was that her? Yeah. Um, but they wanted to get into fashion because it was they, – they were in tech and they wanted to get into fashion to expand a little bit. And I think the watch helped a lot. Uh, the number of people I see wearing watches now, Apple Watches, it's everywhere – um, you see them in movies and TV. It's the weather people on BBC wear them. Um, I see them in people I meet around here. It's surprising how common it's become. Yeah. Wally had turned this question around. Do you have a favorite watch band given all, the, all of your travels? Well, I I have a few in the drawer and, and nowhere near as prolific as Kirk. But, uh, yeah, I guess over time I've gravi- gravitated to this one, which is a um, Velcro Sport. fastener. I love those because I do a lot of uh, cycling in the summer and outdoor activity, and I find it's uh, easy on, easy off. Um, it's pretty cool when you're riding and you're you're sweating, and uh, I I just like the comfort of them. I, I have a Milanese Loop, and I have a few others, but yeah, this is my go-to band. Yeah, I had my first Apple Watch band was one of the uh, the magnetic um, leather looking watch bands and right. I, I i wore that one until really frankly until it fell apart um that was like those first three. ones did not wear well and that's why they don't sell them anymore well yeah listen it, it got me through like three three different models of of apple watch so i didn't think it was horrible but yeah um but the melanie's the, loop, leather, the, the yeah. original leather one had a thing it went into a loop and folded over the new one just closes like this so right. mm. it doesn't wear at that bend point like yeah. the original ones. Yeah. But the, the, just the, the magnetic closure, just like Wally's Velcro. I mean, that way I can pull it a little tighter, a little looser. You know, if, if, 
I mean, cause I'll wear my, I might wear my watch to play golf. And the last thing you want is your watch, you know, as you're swinging to shoot over your wrist and down, down toward the club head. Um, and so, you know, you just pull it just a little tighter. The magnetic, uh, the magnetic uh, clasp holds right there and you're fine. So. Well, that's what I like about the, the uh, Milanese loop and the Velcro is you can um, adjust very, very finely. You don't have to um, push into a little hole and adjust by maybe a couple millimeters. You could do it even more finely. So you can adjust it till you get that magic feeling on your wrist when it's just not too loose and not too tight. It's like, you know, mama bear, papa bear, and baby bear in the porridge. It's just right. And you can adjust nicely with those. And also you probably find during the day that your body swells a little bit or unswells, whatever the term is. So some bands you'll find are too tight and some get looser. And so it's, it's really comfortable. I wear my watch to sleep. I I use it for sleep tracking. I, I did this originally for an article I must be three years ago just to, to write about sleep tracking apps. And then I thought, you know, this is really good to do to wear it to sleep. The, the reason I do this is I have a very um, uneven schedule since I work a lot with people in the U S um, sometimes I'm working until six or seven at night. So I start work at, I get up at nine in the morning sometimes. Um, and I end up going to bed late, like one o'clock in the morning. So if I haven't slept enough, I know, okay, in the afternoon I need to take a nap. And having a sleep tracking app, I use one called AutoSleep. Um, it tells me when I get up in the morning, you've only slept seven hours. So it means I'll take a half hour nap at some time in the afternoon. And I find that not only naps are great for old people like us, um, but it's really helpful to make sure that I'm getting the necessary sleep over the day. Yes, I know. Yeah. Old people like us? Who are you, We're not young. Who else is on here, Kirk? Come on now. <laughs> Second Ollie, childhood. We're, yeah. we're in our second childhood, so let's yes. put it that way. At least, at least. Yeah. What do you have for uh, this? Uh, let's see, this is round three already. Yeah, what do you have for round three? Yeah. Well, I, you know, we probably, all of us, uh, young or old, have a, a freezer somewhere in our house. And inside that freezer, you probably have a tray that makes ice cubes, unless you have a fancy new freezer that, creates ice cubes on a tray on the side. Anyway, if you have a, a freezer and if you can make ice cubes, you can pick up a nice little ice cube mold. It's made of rubbery silicone. And I wish I could show it to you, but I can't because it's in my freezer. <laughs> the thing is, you pour water into this mold and you put it in and out comes a miniature classic Macintosh, a 128K or classic Mac frozen into an ice cube. So if you have Mac friends coming over for the holidays, make a few of these ice cubes, put them in the drinks, and they'll love you for it. So uh, very simple. They come for, I think, two for nine bucks or something like that. Or if you order more, they give you free shipping. Uh, Great thing for the holidays or later. If If you're a real Mac fan, make iMac or not an iMac, but classic Mac shaped ice cubes for them. How about that? Put them in a punch bowl. Wally, that is so pathetically geeky. And as soon as you send me the link, I'll be ordering one. Uh, (laughs) That's perfect. (laughs) I love it. I love it. 
Uh, yes, so if if you come to visit me during the holidays, folks, you will get Macintosh-shaped ice cubes. Absolutely. <laughs> Great. And, Great. And I guess you don't have to put water in. If you put uh, some other liquid that freezes, you could have colored ones, and maybe the shape appears better. It might be hard seeing the shape in, in a drink if they're just uh, frozen water. But uh, there you go. Use your imagination. Yeah, I love it. Good, Good pick, good pick. Well, I have a little show and tell for my next pick. I'm going to ease it out here. Um, this is an iPhone torn apart. Oh, yeah. You got apart. one. Um, uh, it's by a company called Grid. Um, they not, don't just do iPhones. They do, um, well, they do a variety of different iPhone models. Put it back down here carefully. Um, but they also do some other electronics if you are not necessarily an iPhone fan. But this is this is a great gift, and it's so well done. Um, it just takes out all the specific components of the iPhone, highlights them. There are little little quotes on them. There are little explanations of what each one is, and they're all genuine. The only thing that's not genuine is the battery, um, because that would probably not be safe to be hanging on your wall for an extended period of time. So they basically have an empty battery case there. Everything else is completely genuine. They took old old devices blew them out and mounted them in this frame. Uh, it is, it's a terrific gift for the technology enthusiast. I love this. In fact, I've, I had to go and take it off the wall uh, because I wanted to make sure I showed it here, but there's also a graphic that uh, I put up as well. Um, not necessarily terribly inexpensive, but also not ridiculously expensive either, especially if you're looking for something really unique. Um, and just, just like Wally's ice cubes. Uh, you know, it's it's something for the technology fan that they will really appreciate. Uh, there are plenty of other, you know, shadow boxes you can get for different things. But I, I just love this because it gives you just a, a sense uh, of, of kind of where we are and where we've been um, from a technology standpoint. Uh, it makes you really appreciate just how all the technology that's packed into this little device, it just it, it looks so simple when it's when it's broken apart. But you know what it can do, and that, to me, makes it even more impressive. Yeah, I, I think we talked about that last year. And, in fact, it, it, uh, if you go on their site, they have different models of devices that they will mount, but not all of them are available because they are in high demand, and some of these devices just are hard to find. So I, I wonder if they're still using um, ones that they procure or whether you can send them your device, minus batteries, of course, and they will mount yours for you. Because I haven't checked the site recently. Yeah, don't know, Wally. That's a, that's a really good question. Um, I, yeah. would, I, I, would, I don't know how long it would take for them to take it apart, you know, do what they do. Because that's true. It's, it's that's not like these – yeah, it doesn't – it's not like these – at least mine doesn't – Looks like it was a secondhand phone necessarily, although it obviously pretty much had to be. But it's not like it's a beat up iPhone. You know, it's no. it it looks really really good. So yeah, a well, unique. You know, uh, the nice thing is, when do you actually get a chance to see what's inside your phone or your the device that you're mounting? And uh, I like the fact that there's an annotation with it, it tells you what that part is and what it might do. So it isn't just here's a whole bunch of parts. It's here's a label for this part and here's what it does. And you can kind of see how they fit together and where in the device they fit and how they work with other parts. It's very clever. Yeah, agreed. 
Yes. You know, recently I uh, I had the uh, um, Generation Zero Apple Watch, the first model, and after a while it uh, it wasn't working so well. And one day I looked at it in the charger, and it had swollen up and burst apart at the seams, mm. and that was the end of it. Um, and and actually the uh, the the top popped off, so it was hanging by the wires. And my first thought at the time was, gee, if someone would mount this and frame it, it would be wonderful to have a display of my original Apple Watch. Of course, it wasn't possible, so that was the end of my watch, and I got a new one. But still, um, you know, you, you do develop an attachment to the technology, and it's yours, and it's a part of you, and wouldn't it be nice to carry on? But Yeah, I don't feel like that. Not no. anymore. Back in the day, there there was more of an effective relationship, but now it's just, it's a commodity. It's like you use it because you need it and then you replace it when something better comes along. What's Mm -hmm. interesting now, though, is with Apple's M processors, I'm really thinking that I've got the 24-inch iMac. I'm going to keep this five years, six years, maybe even more. I used to sell my Macs always between about 18 and 24 months because that's when you could get the most. And after 18 or 24 months from a new Mac, that next model had so many improvements in processor speed or memory or whatever. And we've plateaued on that. And there's so much durability now in these computers that they are going to last longer. So I'm thinking I have an M1 Mac and I have an M2 MacBook Air. I'm thinking each one's going to last at least five years. Whereas... For my business, I amortize over three years, and Apple Care runs out after three years. So there's always that worry: Do I want my main computer um, at risk in case something goes wrong? But they're so reliable, and there's so little change anymore that I don't see. I don't have any close feelings about my TV, and it's the same for my computers now. It's not like back in the day when it was really something special. Kirk, I agree with you. I. I mean, I, I have very much have an attachment to my technology, but not necessarily maybe to this particular iMac or that particular laptop. Right. You know, it's I, I, I would be lost without that model or, you know, whatever the current model is or whatever I'm using it for. But as far as that, you know, because I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I remember families, uh, people in my family of the older generations would name their cars and they would feel like their car had a personality. And I've never been one like that with with the Macs, you know. I just or or my Apple Twos or anything else, you know. It's just this is my current one, and you know that's what that's what it is. And you know when it goes, I mean, thank you for your service, but it's time for something new. What I'm realizing more and more these days is the all encompassing nature of the Apple platform. Um. When I write an article, and I write five or six articles a week, I write on my iMac. Then I take my iPad and my Apple Pencil, go sit over there on the couch, and I edit the article. It's good to look at an article in a different in a different position, in a different font, in a different app. Um, sorry, I use the same app, but with a different font, a different display. You see things differently. And then I can go to my iPhone and do the same stuff, and then I can get my laptop. And it's, it's like it links together so well now 
that in some ways the individual parts of it don't matter as much as the whole of the things that connect of I copy something on my iPhone and I paste it on my iMac, that sort of thing. Or I save my files in iCloud Drive and they're available everywhere. So it's more the platform now than the individual devices, because if my iMac stops working, I can use my MacBook Air. If that stops working, I can use my iPad for a lot of what I do. Yeah. Yeah, that that's it. It's an evolution. I mean just you were we were laughing about, you know, second and third childhoods, but I mean how, which one of us don't remember a Hayes twenty four hundred baud modem? And <laughs> and and frankly, with a certain fondness, which is kind hey, of I sad, started on the Minitel but, in France. You guys don't know what the Minitel was. The French um Post and Telecommunications Company, the PTT, they gave everyone in France a Minitel, which was a little box, had a 300-baud modem, and the idea was to replace printed telephone directories. And so initially, you could look up – it was like a white pages and yellow pages, and then you could get train schedules. And then came the Minitel Rose, the pink Minitel, the sexy chats that were charged at the expensive rate. And France was relatively slow developing the internet in the mid-90s because they had invested so much in the Minitel. It was big business. But the French were using this stuff um, – 1986 was the first time I saw one, I think. I mean, this goes back. Hmm. But anyway, I have no personal attachment to that either. Yeah. <laughs> you don't still have your pink mini tower? I, I would say the, the only technology I'm attached to is my cameras. Now, that's interesting. So, my real camera. It's not my iPhone. I don't consider that to be a real camera. I have two real cameras, and I'm attached to them because when you're using a camera, it's an extension of your eye and of your mind, and you've learned how to use everything in it to be able to just – quickly do what you want to do when you want to change a setting, shutter speed, f-stop, etc. So I do have more of an attachment to my cameras. Hmm. And makes sense. I think all will agree, anyone who's a serious photographer at any level probably feels the same way. Oh, I do. And and uh, I'm the same with my video cameras. I, I think I still have the original video, my first um, digital video cameras that I got I still have. It's a joke when you look at them, how big they are, how heavy they are, the the terrible resolution they provided. But somehow I have an, an attachment because that was where it started for me with digital videography. And um, I still have the cassettes that I used to put in there and I can play them back in the cameras and it's it's amazing. And compared to what you can do, even with your iPhone now and those old devices, it's just – how can you describe the difference? It's phenomenal. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Like, like, I don't know whether you pushed your iPhone 14 to the, the max, Kirk, but it just uh, the difference between uh, – I just got a 14 recently – and before that, I did not get the 13. I had a 12. And the difference between the 12 and the 14, to me, is just an absolute eye-opener. And yeah. I can't imagine what the 15 and the 16 and everything else well, is going to be. In terms of photography, I don't think we're going to see a big change. So I had an 11. I didn't buy the 12. I bought the 13. And I was thinking, I won't buy the 14. And then they say, 48 megapixel sensor. I said, I'm buying the 14. Yep. Um, it's not going to go up. I mean – 
we won't get into all the details. 48 megapixels is a lot. For some people, it's not necessary for a lot of people, but it is a huge difference. They won't be improving on that for several generations. So I can't see the 15 doing a lot of changes in the camera, maybe adding a fourth camera or something ridiculous. But what it can do lens, now, maybe. Sorry? Uh, uh, maybe a telescopic lens. Yeah, that's what they're talking about now. Uh, I think... I don't know. I, I think we've just hit a point where, okay, we've got this plateau and we're going to live with that for a few years. Um, again, most people don't need it, so it's not a selling point to everyone. Uh, but it is quite something when you do need that resolution. Hmm. Yeah, and I've, I mean, I found that when we, you started to get, get that third setting um, on, on the iPhones, that it did make such a difference because now I have three options to capture – you know, whatever it is I'm trying to capture, either, you know, very close or pulled back a little bit or pulled back and get, you know, everything. So I, I, I've, I'm kind of looking forward to the, the idea of a periscope lens and having some of those options. I'm kind of excited about. We'll see if it actually happens. But I'm, I'm certainly not the photographer that either one of you are. So, uh, so that means we're into round four um, already. Uh, so I guess this is. If you if you have multiple picks, this is where you pick your best one. Kirk, what do you got? Well, this is not only my best one, but my most expensive one. And the only really techie pick that I've picked, it is a CalDigit TS4 Thunderbolt 4 dock um, with my iMac 24-inch. Um, it's got four USB-C ports, and that's it on the back. And four USB-C ports doesn't cut it when I've got all sorts of devices that are USB-A and other. So I'm going to quickly go to the CalDigit site and tell you what's in it. On the back, four USB-A 3.2, um, 2.5 gigabits Ethernet, audio in and out, USB-C, display port, two Thunderbolt 4, a Thunderbolt that connects to the computer. On the front, one USB-A, two USB-C, an audio jack, an SD card and a micro SD card. So that latter is essential for an iMac that doesn't have an SD card reader to not have to put a dongle. But all of the things that I have to connect to my Mac that are still USB-A, I need some ports for them. And it's got extra USB-C and it's got, it's like, we've got these computers that can do so much wirelessly, but we still need the connections if we want to back up our data and stuff like that. Or if you want to use a printer or a scanner that's connected, that's not on Wi-Fi. Um, I think I paid 230 pounds for this. And when I looked it up before the show, it was like $400 in the US. So I don't know if the price has gone up or if the price was cheaper in the UK, which is rare for this kind of thing. It's a little device. It's I can't pick it up and show you because it's connected to my iMac. It's about this big and it's about this thick. It's not very big. It sits behind the iMac. Um, I I now can't imagine working without it. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. I have to I have to look into it because I don't not familiar with that. So how many uh, peripherals do you actually have plugged into it right now? Um, I've got four external SSDs that are plugged in via two hubs into the back. Um, I've got a LoopDeck CT plugged in the front. I've got a couple of things on USB-A I can't really see exactly. Um, one of them's going over to two spinning hard drives that are over there. But most important is that I've got the ports in the front that I need when I want to plug something in and the SD card mm -hmm. reader. So I'm probably using half the ports. And I'm not using anything at Thunderbolt speed either. I can see why it's indispensable for you. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's just so flexible. When I need to plug something in, it's right there. Instead of reaching around the back where all these ports are already have stuff in it, like I've got my um, audio interface into one, I've got a hard drive that's in another, and I don't know, I have to keep one um, available so I can always have this little cable, the lightning thing, to plug in to my keyboard or my trackpad or anything else that needs to be charged. So, yes, we need more ports on these devices, and I'm surprised that Apple – I mean, I understand why they want everything to be wireless, and I look forward to a day when everything is wireless. But until you have like a wireless hub that's fast enough that you can plug the other things into, you still need stuff. I mean, it's spaghetti behind my iMac, the the space on my desk. Unfortunately, I can't see it um, because we still need things. Listen, I agree with you, Kirk, and and I'm – I'll bet your plate of spaghetti against my plate of spaghetti. Oh, but, I'm looking at what's behind you there, Chuck. Forget about it. You're, yeah. You you beat me by, you know, a mile. It's- oh, good. Thanks. Um, you know, but at, at the end of the day, I, I think I, – I hate to admit it, but I think we're the outliers. I think for a lot of people, uh, you know – what what is in there is, yes is no. almost Anyone fine. who's a creative professional has a lot of stuff yeah. connected. Yeah, that I agree with. Um, yeah. I, it's true that we're more interested in gadgets – um, so we're maybe more likely to get things like that. And I think we've talked about backing up data before. I'm a belt and suspenders plus backblaze backup guy. Um, mm-hmm. so I've got, you know, four, I got a total of six backup drives, uh, doing different things. Um, it's just, you know, it's just the cost of doing business for me. Cause again, this is my business, right? Uh, I'm working here. This is, you know, how I make my living. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Wally, this is your your last pick of the fourth round, or last pick of the show, uh, the fourth round pick. What do you got? I will do my best to make it a good one. I, I'm sure uh, both of you and, and many of your listeners um, share my uh, pleasure at reading the Joy of Tech comics uh, three times a week. Uh, if you don't know Joy of Tech, um, it's a, a, a technology-oriented comic strip that's uh, created by two people called Nitrozac and Snaggy, whose real names are Lisa and Bruce. They are Canadians. And it's just a hilarious thing. Um, The artwork is very well done. It's very funny. And the themes are right up to date. And if you read this uh, strip regularly, some of the uh, characters in it are familiar to you. There is a Steve Jobs. There's a Tim Cook a Leo Laporte, a uh, David Pogue, etc. So they're, uh, they have real people in them, and it's very funny. What you can do is you can get Nitrozac, in other words, Lisa, to do a portrait for you. And the way this works is you provide a photo to her, and you will get back a digital illustration based on your favorite photo. So you can do this either for yourself or you can do it for uh, someone in your family or a friend. Or uh, a cat. You can, sorry? Or a cat. Or a cat. That's possible, <laughs> too. Um, you can get either 72 or 300 DPI resolution, depending on how big you want to print it. And then you just print it yourself, frame it, you do whatever. Um Prices 
are not cheap, but they're reasonable. So if you want the color cartoon style, it's $125. If you want to do a black and white pencil sketch, it's $75. Now, given that, I mentioned there are some tech personalities involved here in their artwork, Steve Jobs, Tim Cook. To date, I have not seen a Chuck Joyner in Joy of Tech, and I think there should be. So maybe we should take up a collection and get a Chuck Joyner Joy of Tech portrait done. Unless I'm missing something, Chuck. Have you been in there or not? Uh, I don't believe so, and I don't think that's something that we need to dedicate any funds to. Okay, I so if I start a GoFundMe campaign, I shouldn't do that. Oh, yeah. No, no please don't. <laughs> of course, I'm joking. Um, but uh, have a look at the Joy of Tech call, uh, comic. The, uh, I will send uh, Chuck the link. If you're not familiar with it already, it may become a habit with you. It's, it's just delightful and very funny. Um, plus, uh, a portrait of someone you love or um, someone that you know uh, done by um, Lisa can be uh, a beautiful gift and something I'm, I'm sure they will treasure. Now, I happen to have been in one of the Joy of Tech cartoons, and I'll send you a link, Chuck. Um, it was back in like, – there's no date on the thing. Um, here is Steve Jobs saying, as you can see, our new iPods display random album art underneath the menus. That's incredible. And I am standing there going, hmm, Mr. Jobs, I didn't realize you listened to Hilary Duff. Oh, my, you have her entire collection in here. Um, ah, that's not my iPod, but it's engraved to Steve Jobs. Love from your wife. And then Steve on the phone. You heard me right. Fire the entire iPod interface team. Now, this was because when they had this, when they first had the color iPod with artwork, I had written some blog articles and they included me in there. Um, I also happen to have one of the portraits. If you look on my Twitter uh, account, it's my avatar. I'm at McElhern on Twitter. Um, when I wrote a Take Control of Launch Bar book some years ago, and I don't remember how many years ago it was, um, the Take Control people, um, Adam and Tanya at the time, paid uh, the joy of tech people to make a little comic to illustrate, to use for marketing. And so they made a headshot for me. Um, a couple of the other take control authors like Joe Kissel, they have a similar portrait like that. So yes, I, I think, I, I think their work is wonderful. Uh, I think, and they're, they're, they're Mac people since from way back, you know, from, from the early days. Yeah. I was going to say that, uh, Kirk, I'm, I'm glad that Wally picked this because it is it is one of those things that has been so entrenched in the Mac community for so long that it's just sort of there, and it's you don't forget about it, but you might just take it a little bit too much for granted. Um, and so, yeah, I, I can't. I'm with you. I think this is a great idea, and you know the the idea, you know, and you know what those those portrait uh, prices are not unreasonable for some of the other artists I see out there doing this kind of contract work. So. And it's in their particular unique style, and it's part of the Mac and Apple community. So great pick, great pick. And, and if you want to uh, look back on some of the work they've done, um, they published a book, I think, in 2003 or something, The Best of Joy of Tech. And if you, I, I have one, and if you read through it, a, a lot of the stuff, even though it's dated, still holds up very well, and it's very apropos to what we're seeing today. So yeah, maybe we need a GoFundMe page to encourage them to do a best of uh, Joy of Tech volume two. 
good point. Very good uh, point. That that would be mu- mu- money much better spent, believe me. Yes, and we can recommend it on the gift guide next year. There you go. <laughs> there you go. There's certain synergy here. Um, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna go a little bit inexpensive for my final pick because this is something I feel very very strongly about, and it probably doesn't apply to anyone that's listening to this show or is on this show, um, but there is a need out there for a television remote that is simple, that doesn't have 50 buttons to control 25 things through 17 menus, that just is, does channel up, channel down, volume, mute, on and off. That's what we need. We need this for some folks who have accessibility challenges. But in, in my particular thinking, we need it for seniors, seniors who are not tech savvy and tech oriented. Um, I wish this this particular thing had been around uh, for my dad um, toward the end of his life because trying to find a simplified remote that didn't require you to jump through all those hoops was all but impossible. This is called the flipper remote. Um, and it is just that it it only has a limited number of buttons. It is very simple, um, and it can be you know set up so that it'll work with your TV. But it's it's you. Don't, I mean, I'm sorry, but you know uh, that generation they didn't necessarily you know punch the numbers in. They just ran up and ran down the channels, and that's really all you need. And so this may be something that you know, it may not be for any of us. But you may have someone in your family that would very much benefit from from it, and it would make their life just a little bit easier. And so I've, again, I feel, this is something I feel really strongly about that there's a segment of the market out there that is being ignored that would genuinely benefit. It would make their lives better, and this is one of those things. So go check it out if you have someone in your life that you feel this would fit their needs, or if you're just tired of all the buttons on the remote. I mean, yeah. I, I have a TV that I bought last year, and it's got about 87 buttons on the remote. And I figured out what three of them do. Whenever I need to do anything else, I don't. I do most of my TV viewing through the Apple TV, so I don't really need to control the TV very much. Um, but I also have a Blu-ray player, and I don't use it a lot. And I bought a bunch of um, Blu-rays recently, a box set of some stuff. And... I have a dedicated TV room. I, we have a small bedroom in the house. We made a TV room and it's dark when I'm watching TV and I have to turn on the flashlight on my iPhone to look at the remote to try and remember which button it is. It's really, you know, of course, these, the, what you're talking about is just for TV. It's just for channels and volume. So it's a lot more complicated if you're dealing with like a Blu-ray or a DVD player. But yeah, remotes are horrible. They really are. Yeah. Apple had it right with the Apple TV remote, even though it took a while for them to get it right. That that slippery um, trackpad thing that they had didn't work. And then the other one, it was the wrong direction and all. The, the current remote on the Apple TV is really quite good. It's only got a couple of buttons, um, but it's true to anything else. It's just way too complicated. Yeah. I, I, Kirk, I look at my, my Comcast remote and I just get angry. Um, not because <laughs> – not because I don't understand how to use it, but the, the, there are so many people out there who, again, have senior members of their family, and it's just like, you know, you you almost you almost have to get some fingernail polish and just try to maybe stripe one of the buttons or the couple that they really need, and that just and and the boy the other thing you get me you can get me on a real soapbox um, because I don't know how many remotes and and factory TVs come with the sleep function buried like one or two menus deep. 
And it's like if I'm if I'm laying in bed and I'm half groggy and just want to set the sleep timer, I want to hit one button and you know roll over. And instead, I've got to sit there and say, okay, now let's see. I hit this button here and go to this menu, and now I can select you know thirty, sixty, ninety minutes. And it's like for heaven's sake, just give me a sleep timer, would you? Just one button. That's all you need. But no, they won't do it. You have a TV in your bedroom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Doesn't it's funny how Americans do that. I've never had a TV in the bedroom. Oh, okay. Yeah. For Even the, when for I the, lived in the states, why would you have a TV in the bedroom? You, you're in the living room. We're here. We have a TV room. TV in the oh. bedroom? Oh, really? For the late for the late news and the early morning news? Sure. You got an iPad for that? <sighs> All right. <laughs> yeah. I, I see. No, if yeah. I want to watch something in bed, I'll watch on my iPad. It's true. Um, uh, the iPad is really good. Um, since the, the iPad Pros came out, I have the 11 inch and it's really good. And with the AirPods Max to get surround sound, it's really quite good for viewing. Um, it, it's, it's not as good as a big TV. Uh, I did invest last year on a 65 inch OLED TV, um, a full Sonos surround system now. And that's really quite nice. But, you know, why, why put a TV in the bedroom? It's hey, like, you know. But I, but I roll over on my iPad, and that's that's not well, a good thing for the iPad or for me. True. So, <laughs> Wally, do you have a better a TV in the bedroom? Help me out. No, I don't. Uh, I can I can I can see the attraction. However, um, I do I do would like to watch the news in the evening before I go to bed. Uh, in the morning, I think I'm with Kirk, uh, the iPad Pro. Uh, I have favorite news sites, uh, BBC, CBC, uh, our local newspaper, etc. So I go through all of those in the morning, a few uh, Mac news sites. I check the weather. And by the time I've done all that, uh, at least half an hour has gone by and I'm half awake again. So, uh, yeah, it's convenient. Okay, well. Folks, if you're with me, if you have a TV in the bedroom for news purposes, let me know. And if not, then you're with Kirk and Kirk and Wally. What can I tell you? Guys, thank you. That was uh, a lot of different picks and a lot of uh, fun picks, um, and at least a couple of which I think I may avail myself of, um, much to the detriment of my credit card balance. Uh, I want to let folks know where they can find you, what you're up to, and uh, how they can connect with you. So, Kirk, we'll start with you. Uh, what's the best place for people to reach you about your picks, your cat, or anything else? My website is kirkville.com, K-I-R-K-V-I-L-L-E.com. And I post links to everything I publish everywhere. So you have links to my podcasts and my articles, and there are some cat photos on the site. <laughs> Great. Happy holidays, and thanks for doing this. Thank you, Chuck. Wally, it's a rare occasion when we can actually catch you at home. Um, so folks pretty much have to connect with you virtually. How do they go about that? Yeah, well, I guess I sort of fly under the radar. I don't have a podcast. I don't have a website, but you can find me on YouTube. And I guess we've got new YouTube handles, uh, according to uh, the message they've sent. So I suppose if you really wanted to find me, I'm Wally.Sherwinski. You could just look me up and I'll appear. There's a lot of, uh, on the YouTube channel, there's a lot of stuff from back in the Macworld days and a lot of music videos we've done with a Macworld all-star band and a few other stuff uh, on the YouTube channel as well. 
I also write a regular column in uh, Screencast Online Monthly Magazine, so you can find me there. And uh, yeah, it was uh, unfortunate we didn't get a chance to meet up at uh, MaxDoc this year, Chuck. I think you were ill and um, we weren't traveling back then either. So hopefully uh, next summer that will change. Yeah, it was. I agree with you, Wally. It was a real bummer. The week before MaxDoc, I tested positive for COVID. The good news yeah. was that I I didn't really have a severe case. It was no worse than than a cold, but it also yeah. meant that you needed to stay away from people. So, of all the weeks of the year, I had to test positive that week. But next year, hopefully, things will be better. As I say, we couldn't make it either. But um, uh, do do you know if Mike has set a date for next year yet? Have not heard. Have not heard, but he usually doesn't start talking about it until January. So yeah, okay. Well, let's uh, let's wait. Yeah. So happy holidays to you and Wendy. Um, hopefully, we will see you at MaxDoc. Yes, excellent. Yes, and uh, the best to you and your family and your friends. Likewise, Kirk. Enjoy enjoy the holidays in the UK. Yeah. For now, it's you know? very cold. I was going to say, you've got have you got big snow in Stratford? We had six inches last Sunday, a week ago, so we're recording on Saturday the 17th. Last Sunday, we had six inches in the morning. Um, wow. It's been well below freezing, I think. The night before last, it hit 10 below centigrade, so it's about 14 degrees Fahrenheit, which is yeah. uncommon here. But tomorrow, it's going up to like 14 degrees Celsius, which is like in the mid-50s. So go figure. <laughs> Welcome to the uh, 21st century. And someone sent me a picture recently of uh, ice skating on the fens near Cambridge, which is happens like once every, I don't know, 30 or so years that it happened this year. Yeah, this is we ha we had about five years ago a, a cold snap for several weeks in January or February. Um, but this is particularly surprising because it was extremely warm in november i live next to a farm and the farmer is like in november all these things are sprouting what are we going to do now all these things are freezing what are we going to do um <laughs> it, it's really oh. hard to get used to here yeah. yeah yeah so folks we'll be back with more um next time on mac voices but as always i appreciate you hanging out i want to remind you that the all the picks uh that these gentlemen made and that i made are in the show notes to this episode. They're also going to be listed in the master list on the Mac Voices website and also in our Flipboard magazine for the Holiday Gift Guide 2022. So check all of that out. Again, the links will be right in the show notes here. Until the next time, and as always, thanks for watching. Visit macvoices.com for show notes and to connect with Chuck on social media. Get involved in our Facebook group or like our Facebook page and get more out of your Apple tech with Mac Voices Magazine, free on Flipboard and on the web. And if you find value in it all, consider supporting us through either our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash macvoices, or by making a one-time donation via the PayPal link on our front page and in the show notes of each episode. You will join these fine people who help bring you Mac Voices. Advertising handled by Backbeat Media at BackbeatMedia.com. Bandwidth provided by Cashfly at Cashfly.com.